Did you know that within a decade, women will hold $30 trillion in investable assets? Yet somehow, only 19% of women reported feeling confident in selecting investments that align with their long-term goals. Our friends at InvestHer are out to change that. InvestHer Con is the number one premier conference for women in real estate, and it's happening June 2nd through the 4th in Austin, Texas. InvestHerCon is not just another real estate conference. It's a transformational experience focused on real estate investing, business strategies, and self-care tactics, all designed to help women take control of their financial futures. Gain the knowledge and skills you need to grow your portfolio and build a sustainable business, all while connecting with over 500 women who are playing at the same level. To learn more and to get your tickets, visit InvestHerCon.com today and use the code 100BESTEVER to get $100 off your ticket. That's InvestHer, H-E-R, Con.com, promo code 100BESTEVER to get $100 off your ticket. They create a contract assignment fee that's built into the agreement. And then when you work with them, they essentially charge you that assignment fee. You then get assigned the contract and then own it. Before we get into it, I want to introduce you to Groundbreaker, today's sponsor and partner. They are an all-in-one suite of tools for small to medium-sized real estate syndicators. They've got a special focus on real estate syndicators with $1 million to $100 million assets under management. They help you increase productivity and investor satisfaction by automating fundraising, reporting, and investor relations through elegant and powerful workflows built by syndicators for syndicators. Groundbreaker will help you scale your business without the need to scale your overhead. So they're going to help reduce your costs because of the admin team that won't need to be as large. And they're going to help you reduce your risk of data breach because of the security systems that they have in place. They'll help you increase your revenue by growing your assets under management because you're going to be allowed to focus on the things that are most important, like business growth and operations, not those administrative logistics. And ultimately, they're going to help you elevate your company's brand and professionalism and investor experience because your investors are going to enjoy having this platform with all their information versus however you're currently doing it. Three things specifically about Groundbreaker I personally like. One, super easy to use from an investor standpoint and from a general partner standpoint. Two, it allows investors and general partners to fund electronically, meaning that a limited partner can complete their entire subscription and funding cycle without leaving the platform. And on the general partnership side, for distributions, you can set it up so that you can trigger bulk ACH payments within the platform. And then the last thing I really like about Groundbreaker is it's, well, it's cost effective. It's healthy to the bottom line. Their basic plan allows sponsors to sign up for as little as $100 per month with no limits on deals or investors. And you can read all about their pricing on their website. Speaking of their website, it is groundbreaker.co forward slash Joe, J-O-E. And when you go there, groundbreaker.co forward slash J-O-E you're going to get access to a pitch deck that the Groundbreaker team created so that you have a template should you want to use that and customize it for your own deal. So go to groundbreaker.co forward slash Joe. Quick disclaimer, the views and opinions expressed in this podcast are provided for informational purposes only and should not be construed as an offer to buy or sell any securities or to make or consider any investment or course of action 
For more information, go to bestevershow.com. I want to introduce to you Ash Patel. He is a full-time commercial real estate investor. He's going to be doing the interview today and a lot of them moving forward. I'm still going to be doing interviews, just not as many. And he is going to ask tough questions while still building rapport. That way it's not awkward. He's a good friend of mine. Join me in welcoming Ash Patel. Hello, best ever listeners. Welcome to the best real estate investing advice ever show. I'm Ash Patel and I'm with today's guest, Charlie Stevenson. Charlie's joining us from Boulder, Colorado. He's got four years of multifamily investing and his portfolio consists of 450 units. Charlie, welcome to the show. Thanks, Ash. Good to be awesome. here. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Tell us more about your background and what you're focused on now. Yeah. So I kind of fell into real estate investing after a decent career in kind of serial entrepreneurship. After graduating college, I actually started an adventure travel company with my brother and best friend because we loved to travel. And we moved out to Italy and lived there for four years, building an adventure travel company, taking American students on trips to ski in the Alps and sail on the Greek islands. And that was a blast, but it was a risky endeavor. You never knew exactly if the business was going to work out or not. So after returning to the United States and starting another business and that one failing, I got into the corporate world. And after meeting my wife and several years in the corporate grind, we both looked at each other on our honeymoon and said, let's take a break. Let's quit our jobs. Let's go do what we really love to do, which is travel and spend time with family. So literally she quit her job as a finance investment professional in Boston. I quit my job as a travel industry director and we bought some backpacks and kind of like you, we went and traveled all over the world. We spent 14 months cruising around Southeast Asia. We were in Russia for a bit. And while we were there, we rented our condo in Boston, Massachusetts, which we had bought for ourselves and rented it out to a pharmacist and his beautiful young family and kind of had this epiphany while we were riding the Trans-Mongolian Railway across Russia with our good friend who's now our business partner that, holy cow, this thing is cash flowing. We're making grand a month, just maybe replacing a washer and dryer every three years or something like this. And so we said, boy, if we had five more of these things or 10 more, we could do this continually. We could just keep traveling and spend time with family and live the dream. And that was kind of when the idea hatched our friend and now business partner said, Hey, I know you guys just realized this. I realized this about 10 years ago and she'd been buying multifamilies in Boston already. And so she's like, let's combine forces, the three of us and figure this out. So we decided to form Acris Capital is what it is now and began buying a small portfolio of small multifamilies in Washington state where I'm originally from. And through that experience, using our own money, we just self-funded everything. We learned how to do it. We reinforced the experience that my other partners had. We utilized my two partners' experience as chartered financial analysts. They already knew how to underwrite stuff. I was just kind of a travel guy. I was having fun building the business. They were the ones that knew how to use the spreadsheets at first. And so we began buying some bigger stuff. We actually went to the best ever conference, Joe Fairless's conference a few years back, met some now partners, and they introduced us to the world of syndication. We began buying much larger assets, starting with a 300 unit down in Orlando and then another one over in Dallas. And it's just kind of gone on since then. What did your portfolio look like before you partnered up with your now partners? Before we partnered, it was one condominium in Boston, Massachusetts. My wife and I owned it. That was it. A single door. And then our other partner had several units that she had a long-term leasing strategy on one multifamily and then had a couple of condos that had Airbnb strategies in place. And when you formed this partnership, did you all combine assets or did she keep her existing assets and did you keep yours or did you put it all under the one umbrella? No, we kept them totally separate. 
In fact, we sold our condo in Boston because it had generated a lot of appreciation. There was a lot of equity. So we actually sold that to generate some deployable capital. So we used that as part of the money just to fuel the growth of the business and acquire our first multifamilies in Washington. Okay. And then once you formed this company, where did your capital come from to take on more deals? So like I said, we used some of our own savings. We had savings in our own bank account that was cash. We had IRAs built up from years and years in the corporate world that had decent size. And we used that money, converted it into self-directed IRAs. And in doing that, essentially had more deployable capital. So we used our own money at first. And then as we grew our portfolio and as we leveled up our experience and began taking on larger assets in the syndication space, we used external capital from private investors, private equity. Okay. So Charlie, we've been on a pretty good run. How many years have you been doing this? Acris Capital was founded in 2017, so four years. Okay. So you've benefited from a great real estate environment. Give me an example of a deal where you lost money and learned a lesson. That's a good question. And I was thinking about it. We've been really careful and intentional about making our investments. And so far of the investments we've made, the deals that we have acquired and and some of them dispositioned, we haven't lost any money. So we've certainly had components of the business plan that didn't have the same performance that we had expected or projected. Perhaps there was some kind of a natural disaster we had to handle that affected performance of that particular component of the business plan. But overall, when we've dispositioned assets or with existing assets that were operating, the returns have been at or above projection. So we've been really thankful for that. What was a natural disaster? In Dallas-Fort Worth, about a little less than a year ago, actually in the fall of 2020, there was a tornado that went through the center of the city, actually several of them. And one of them landed about a mile and a half from one of our assets. And there was just intense winds that kind of tested the structural integrity of our roofs. So we had to go through basically pausing the business plan while we mitigated that risk and handled the insurance claims and all that kind of thing. So that was one particular example of components of a business plan, like the interior and exterior renovations being put totally on pause while we handle that situation. Okay. What are some of the challenges you have dealing with investors or acquiring investors? Dealing with investors, I think in this environment, we've had such a great run. The economy has done so, so well over the course of the last decade, and it's the longest growth period in modern economic times. There's a lot of capital out there. And because there's a lot of capital, there's also a lot of other operators like ourselves bringing deals to the market. And Different operators have different ways of underwriting and different levels of conservatism in the way that they underwrite assets and underwrite the performance of business plans for assets. So you see a wide range of a spread of returns. And especially with the more retail investors, the folks investing maybe 50 or 100 or $150,000, I think that some of our peers are putting deals out there that have very, very, let's say, high expectations for return that may or may not be achievable. But what that's doing is it's setting the bar for return expectations with the retail investors very high. So when we underwrite our stuff, it's not often that it has, at this current stage in the market, it has really exciting returns that can often compete with people that have lower than true value add business plans that they're underwriting, if that makes sense. So expectation setting has been kind of one of the challenges, I think, is the answer. And what are your typical returns on your deals? Pre-COVID, we were aiming for 17 to 22% as an IRR kind of our floor for investing any deals and 9% cash on cash return. And hopefully it's higher than that. That still is the floor 
for any investments we do, but we've been setting expectations with investors that returns are now for a true value add business plan are ranging probably between 13 to 17%. But of course, past performance is no guarantee of future results. I have to say all that compliance stuff. Otherwise, my partners will, will not be happy with me. But yeah, I'd say 13 to 17% for the typical run-of-the-mill large multifamily asset running a value add business plan. Hopefully that goes up, but we're seeing cap rate compression, so it might not. And how do you mitigate that? How do you mitigate the lower the returns of returns? One way that we've done that is we focus on investors that have lower return needs and institutions that have lower return needs. And that group is excited about a 13 to 17% IRR. Maybe an investor that's been in the market for two or three cycles, a 30-year veteran of investing is excited about anything that's a multiple of what the treasury is returning. So we've got an investor who, who's a portfolio and fund manager for three decades, and he looks at anything relative to the treasury. So an 11% return is 10x over the treasury. And so he's very excited about that because he sees higher returns than that as maybe a little riskier. And how do you find those investors that are looking for a little bit lower returns? It might not be that they're looking for lower returns. It's like they're looking for a blend of different characteristics in a return profile. So a return, the actual ROI is one component of an investor who's maybe a little bit of a higher net worth investor, but also liquidity needs are one particular need. Also things like tax liability mitigation is another need. And so if we're approaching a high net worth investor who is okay with a 13% or a 10% return, they have other particular interests and needs that are more important to them than that actual return. They don't care so much about cash flow. Maybe they're more of a, a five-year or 10-year hold appreciation, total return focused investor. And how do we find them? Well, a lot of it had to do with starting with our own personal networks. My two partners were in the financial industry for years and years in Wall Street and Boston and New York. So certainly there's a lot of folks and our colleagues within our past experience that we can tap on who have interest. Also uh, attending conferences like the best ever conference was a great way for us to meet higher net worth investors or just investors in general. We love all investors, whether they're retail or higher net worth, we want to work with all of them and support all of them. So I'm not saying we only go after one. Other ways we network, essentially. There's also a lot of referral that happens. One person refers us to a network of their friends who all have large capital deployment needs. Charlie, can you tell me about your last acquisition? Sure. Yeah. So our last deal was an interesting one. Like I said, we had a portfolio in Washington state of smaller multifamily assets. So this one was a 12 unit, a little bit of an older asset that was outside of Spokane, Washington, right next to Eastern Washington University, which is a large public university directly across the street from it. So it was unique in that regard because it was a great location and had no difficulty leasing it up. We actually found the deal with a wholesaler, which is kind of a unique deal provider. It's different than a commercial broker. They find the deal. They get another contract with a direct relationship with the seller. They create a contract assignment fee that's built into the agreement. And then when you work with them, they essentially charge you that assignment fee. You then get assigned the contract and then own it. So that deal was great. Cap rates are pretty decent in Washington state, or at least in that region of Washington state. So we got it for $500,000 for a 12 unit, which is a great per unit price. It was cash flowing in a really nice way. The wholesaler said that it cash flows like a hog. And I'll never forget that phrase because that was funny. We ran a typical value add, like most of the burst strategy on it, fixed up some of the interiors, some of the exterior, forced some appreciation by moving the NOI up and getting the rent stabilized and the tenant base stabilized. 
And then we just dispositioned it and it's set to close in like a week or something like that for 818,000. So ultimately we made about $300,000 on it of which we're 1031 exchanging that into another asset in a new market that we're focusing on. What were the rehab numbers on that? That's a great question for my asset manager, who is my partner, Christina. (laughs) I focus on business systems and capital raising and investor relations, but I can kind of like, let me think about this for a second. It was around 50,000, I think, $75,000 in total to do the repair costs, maybe a little bit less. And how did you manage those rehabs? Was it a property management company? So we had a strong, yes, we have a strong property management company in place there in Washington state, a team that we work with, with a few of our assets. And we also had a GC team that we worked with to get in there and help out. And Washington state has some pretty unique tenant laws. Have you had any experience positive or negative with that? From a positive perspective, I think it's incumbent upon us as a multifamily operator to make sure tenants are really well protected. So I really do appreciate Washington's progressive stance on taking care of tenants. That said, I think that the landlord-tenant balance has to be really managed, should be fairly equalized so that a good landlord can take care of their tenants and also take care of their asset and run a business plan. In Washington state with COVID happening, a lot of some of the more progressive policies like rent control and eviction moratorium were accelerated. COVID the federal level came in and accelerated some of that imbalance between landlord and tenant rights. So that's part of the reason we're actually dispositioning our portfolio in Washington state and moving to states that have more landlord-friendly environments, business environments. So there's a bit of a negative impact there, huh? There was. I would say that while that market, I think, still has a lot of room to go and there's still a lot of opportunity for investors, it was getting in the way of our hyper-growth strategic positioning. We wanted to be able to move a little more quickly and that wasn't allowing us to enact our business plans at the rate that we wanted to. So it had some impact on our strategy. And is there a specific example you can offer on how those laws impacted your business model? Certainly, we need to have tenants that are taking good care of the asset. It's sort of, I think, an unwritten and written rule in the lease that people that we bring in to provide them with housing should take good care of the asset. And we had situations where there were tenants that were from the previous ownership that had been not staying up on their rents. They hadn't been taking care of the asset and not taking care of some of the maintenance that needed to be handled. So we found situations coming into the ownership of this asset where some of these units needed to be totally removed and remodeled. And because of current federal moratorium on eviction, we couldn't do that at first. The tenant eventually left on their own accord, kind of skipped in the middle of the night, which was actually thankful. But if we wanted to get them out so we could take care of a pretty terrible bathroom mold issue, we couldn't have done that at that moment in time because of the eviction moratorium. Got it. Charlie, what's your best ever real estate investing advice? My best ever advice is kind of philosophical. There's this men's group that I'm a part of called GoBundance. And something that I really learned working with them was if you try to go alone, you might go fast, but if you go together, you'll go far. So it's an ancient or African proverb that says, go alone and go fast, go together and go far. And that's been truly one of the hallmarks of our success in the businesses by pairing up with two other folks, my partners who have a lot, frankly, more experience than I am and a little smarter in the room and can work with me and I can do what I'm good at and they can do what they're good at. We can combine forces and really go a long way. I do see a lot of investors who 
go the lone wolf route and maybe they get a project going a little more quickly. But ultimately, I see that we can have a lot more distance in the end run. So yeah, go together, create a team. Don't try to do it alone. And that's, that's a great philosophy say. and a great outlook. Charlie, are you ready for the lightning round? Let's do it. All right. First, a quick word from our partners. Groundbreaker helps you increase productivity and investor satisfaction by automating fundraising, reporting, and investor relations through elegant and powerful workflows built by syndicators for syndicators. Go to groundbreaker.co forward slash Joe. That's groundbreaker.co forward slash Joe to get a free deal pitch deck template. Charlie, what's the best ever book you recently read? I use this book regularly and it sits right in our library and it's actually the best ever syndication book it's kind of a handbook for us we're getting ready to put some offerings out there to our investor networks for some assets that we're looking to acquire and the first thing i do is i open up that book and i look at the 25 or 30 questions that an investor will ask during the webinar process and that just gets me ready to go so it's a book that i read for the first time years ago but it's a constant reference which is theo's and joe's best ever syndication book Awesome. I've got that book sitting on my shelf. It's on my list of things to do. So I'll, thanks for that do advice. It. I'll get it's around to good it. Good advice in there. Yeah. Charlie, what's the best ever way you like to give back? Giving back is something that is really important to me. Something that my dad really instilled in my brother and I. And the way that I find that I can contribute the most value is at my university back in Boston, there's a venture accelerator, which works with students who are undergrads and also alums who are getting businesses off the ground. And Back in 2010, when I was starting my venture travel business, I was one of their first ventures. I was really lucky. It's called Northeastern University's Idea Venture Accelerator. And so they gave me a ton of resources, a ton of advice. They assigned me a mentor and helped me work through the process of starting and launching a business. And that experience was so impactful to me that I now am part of that same organization, not as a venture, but as a mentor. So now I go and I help out young organizations and growth ventures that are doing this very same thing. So I coach a digital yoga platform, a travel business, and a couple other things. So I do with them on a monthly or biweekly basis. I help them organize their business plans, their revenue models, all kinds of stuff. It's fun. It keeps me young and keeps me thinking in an innovative way. Very cool. Charlie, how can the best ever listeners reach out to you? I think probably the best way is just go to our website, acriscapital.com. That's A-K-R-A-S capital.com. And there's a whole different bunch of ways that you can reach out to us. There's an ebook you can download, which will collect some of your information. You can reach out directly to me and book a meeting with myself or one of my other partners to talk about what Acris is doing. We're always looking for limited partners to come in and also small institutions who want to invest with us. So certainly reach out and happy to be a resource and build a relationship. Charlie, thank you for being on the show today. Thanks for all the great advice. You started out with the travel bug, accidentally got into real estate, And now with Acris Capital, you're doing syndications and building a giant portfolio. So thanks for sharing your story today. Thanks, Ash. I appreciate it. Have a best ever day. Thank you again.